Our reading um, is from Luke 18, 18 to 43. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He replied, I have kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, There is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Then Peter said, look, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Then he took the twelve aside And said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. After they have flogged him, They will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. But they understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, 
he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, praised God. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Um, don't sit down. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to get us all to pray. Um, we've, we've just been gloriously uh, standing in the presence of God and worshipping. And, and I want to just say, don't let, don't let that go. Don't, don't, don't stop being expectant that God is going to work. Um, but also brace yourselves, because if God does work through this passage, um, well, I don't know about everyone else at the nine, but he skewered me. And it's a tough one. So uh, let, let's pray. Lord, we pray for your help that we might not only hear and understand, but that we might listen and be changed and transformed. Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do in me? Just echo that in your hearts if you're brave enough. Lord, what do you want to do in me? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And do everything that we've asked and then even more. Lord, would we be all changed this morning? Amen. 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 Do grab a seat. Um, those of you who don't know me, I'm David uh, Ingall. I forgot to introduce myself uh, at the nine. Um, I'm a member of the congregation. Uh, my lovely wife, Liz, and daughter, Beatrice, uh, uh, and I, we're, we're normally here at the nine. Uh, and um, my day job, I'm, I'm actually a vicar, but my day job is I run a charity making Christian teaching films. And uh, that, that's, that's about everything I'm going to say today that's warm and fluffy, uh, because this passage is not. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, some of my friends at school really challenged me on the basis of this passage. Uh, you see, the school we were all at was Eton, and uh, sort of by definition, if you go to Eton you're rich. And this passage seems to be, at least the first half of which is what I'm going to be focusing on, all about how if you're rich, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, so they'd, they'd say, you know, what's going on? I, I made quite a song and dance about the fact that I love Jesus. I was a follower of his. And they said, well, you're rich. Why haven't you sold everything you have and given it away? 
And uh, I'd heard some teaching on this, so I was quick with my explanations. I told them, no, 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 that's what he told one person to do. He doesn't tell everyone to, to sell everything they've got and give it to the poor. It's, it's all okay. And if you, if you carry on, you'll, you'll discover that what's really going on is he, he, he's, a, he's a rich ruler. And in those days, people thought that riches were a sign of the, the blessings and favor of God. And therefore, if you were rich, that must be a sign that you're getting something right and that God was on your side. So um, uh, when Jesus said, you know, it's very difficult for rich men to go to heaven, um, you, you know, he was trying to provoke them and then he succeeds. And if you read the story on, it says, as you've all just heard, um, that they all asked, who then can be saved? And God said, um, things that are impossible, or Jesus said, he's God, uh, things that are impossible with, uh, with humans are possible for God. Um, so um, the, the point really is that, that no one can get to heaven. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven by our own goodness or wealth or efforts. Um, the only way is to be forgiven and set free and saved by Jesus. And I have to say, looking back, it, it wasn't a bad gospel presentation. Um, but it, it's probably the gospel presentation that has been done with the worst motives uh, since uh, the start of the kingdom of, of God, because uh, I wasn't really interested in uh, leading my friends to Jesus at that point. I just wanted to justify myself, um, which I thought I'd managed to do. But the, 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 the big question is, uh, was I right? And the answer is yes. N no. Both. Because on one level, th there's nothing I've said so far that, that wasn't true. All of that is, is right. But on another level, I had completely swerved and sidestepped the, the point and the challenge of this passage. And friends, if you are rich, this passage, and hopefully this sermon, should be really challenging. And you should find yourself feeling very, very uncomfortable at this point. And just before all the rest of you get uh, too smug, and um, after all, you know, who doesn't like to see uh, the rich taken down a peg? I mean you too. It's one of the things that I've noticed as a pastor. Uh, none of us think we're rich. I'm amazed by how rich people can be and still think that they're not rich. And I've, I've pondered on it from time to time. And I've come to the conclusion that it's because most of us hang out with people from similar backgrounds and sort of incomes to us. Which means that almost by definition, compared to most of the people we know, we're averagely wealthy. And so we don't think of ourselves as rich. But let me assure you that with probably literally one or two exceptions, compared to the vast majority of people in the world today, you are very rich. Certainly compared to the people that Jesus was talking to, you know, most of the people he preached to were subsistence workers. They were never more than uh, a couple of weeks or a bad accident away from destitution. When uh, earlier in the gospel, John the Baptist draws the line between the haves and the have-nots, uh, it's whether you've got two coats or none. So when you go home today, you've got more than one woolly jumper or coat in the house. Well done. Congratulations. You get to join the ranks of the people who wish that they'd overslept this morning and not managed to make it to church. <laughs> this is for all of us. And what Jesus says is profoundly challenging to those of us who are rich. 
And yet, in some ways, this passage isn't about money at all. This is really about salvation. I got that right when I was talking to my friends all those years ago. The big question that's fizzing around here, well, it's posed in three different ways. Uh, The man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus talks about entering the kingdom of God, and then all the onlookers say, what must we do, or who can be saved? And and that's really what's supposed to be fizzing in our minds through this whole bit of Luke. Uh, We'll discover it more as we carry on. Uh, And we've already seen it, although uh, we've had a bit of a break and we missed a bit last uh, week. Uh, Although, wasn't it a great time uh, uh, with the guys last week? But it's all about what do we need to do to be saved? And Jesus is dismantling all the wrong answers to that question. So if you wind back a few verses, you get a famous story or parable. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, in a nutshell, um, the Pharisee uh, thinks, you know, I can earn my way to heaven by being a good guy. And the tax collector, who's the sort of typical bad guy in in the ancient world, he knows he's, he's stuffed on that front. And he just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says... He gets it right. And the Pharisee, who's the sort of typical good guy, is not right with God. But then the story that's just before the one we've just heard, and which is meant to be really fizzing in our mind, particularly its last line, which I'll come to, is when they uh, bring a whole bunch of uh, little children. Actually, the the word Luke uses as he introduces it uh, is is babies. Some translations have infants, but babies, infants, you know, little ones in arms. And they're brought to Jesus and... um, there's a bunch of people, no, 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 Jesus is far too busy, don't, go away, go away. And Jesus says, no, no, let the little children come to me. And then he not only says, let the little children come to me, he says, it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And it's a really powerful little uh, saying. There's so much in it. But what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a baby? Well, it immediately it rules out all the different things about status and wealth and being good and all that kind of stuff uh, that we tend to think of. There's something deeply hardwired into, I think, all of us that thinks somehow that I am responsible for earning my way into heaven, however that might look. And it just rips that all away because little babies are capable of doing basically nothing. They don't even understand the difference between right and wrong yet. They don't understand anything. Yeah, they're just totally dependent. But the one thing they can do is receive. You stick a bottle into the little baby's mouth and they'll, they'll suckle and they'll drink, they'll receive. You know, you pick the little baby up and they sort of nuzzle into your shoulder and allow you to, to hug them and receive your love. And what Jesus is saying is, that's the way in. Nuzzle into God's love. Receive that. But, but he doesn't actually put it quite like that. He says, unless, sorry, he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. So it's not just, oh, even babies are allowed in sort of thing. It's, unless you are like that, you can't come in. 
So the big question that should be in our minds is, what is stopping or what might stop me from entering the kingdom of heaven? What is stopping or might stop me from nuzzling into God's love and just receiving his salvation like a little child? And then we come to this story. In fact, actually, our our passage has uh, three different people's uh, responses to uh, sort of entering the kingdom of God. We get the the, the certain ruler that we'll come back to. We get the, the disciples. They usually look like, you know, clueless idiots in the Gospels. But here, big thumbs up from Jesus. He says, yeah, you got it right, because they've just gone all in with him. And then we get... The, the blind guy, who is the sort of marginalized person on the edge of society who nobody's got time for, and they try and keep him away from Jesus. But Jesus is having none of it. And uh, he, he sort, of, sort of sums up what we're, meant to be, what we're meant to be saying. What does it look like to receive the kingdom of God like a little child? Son of David, have mercy on me! That's what it looks like. But then we get this, this ruler, and he is everything that everyone else thinks he'll be in heaven. He's introduced as a ruler here, and we discover later on that he's very rich. I've already uh, told you, um, I was right in what I said to my friends all those years ago, that riches were often seen as a sign of, of blessing and, and God's favor, and people tended to look up to rich people. And even though after 2,000 years of sermons on this passage, that's been chipped away at a little bit, we do all still instinctively, ooh, you know, rich, powerful, important people, we tend to be like, oh, you know, if the king came along or, or, a, or a billionaire, would, would we treat them a little bit differently? We shouldn't, but we probably would. But also the, this idea that he's a ruler, and Luke's the only gospel that, that uses this word. It's a little bit of an unusual word, and uh, the commentaries tell me that, that it's usually used, particularly by Luke, to talk about religious leaders. So the synagogue ruler, for instance, pops up at, at various points. And so he's saying, this guy's a, a church leader. You know, it's the equivalent of, of James or uh, uh, me, I suppose, I'm ordained, um, uh, or, or a bishop or the leader of a big charity or, or, or the sort of person who sort of has kind of religious standing. And he's someone who... Uh, clearly thinks himself, and the, the impression I get is that all the others think it as well, that he's a pretty good guy, and that his sort of track record and his life, you know, also works in his favor. But he's got it wrong. The big thing that he's got wrong is that he thinks that on the basis of what he can do and what he has, he can get into heaven. And Jesus is abundantly clear, no. It doesn't work like that. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is to put your faith in Jesus and allow him to forgive you, allow him to have mercy on you. But, but it's worse than that for this guy because Jesus realizes, he sees into his heart that it isn't just that, that all the good stuff that he's doing and the money and all the status won't get it into heaven. It's actually stopping him from getting into heaven. And this is when it begins to be about money, and this is when we need to dig a little bit further. What is stopping him from receiving the kingdom of God like a little child? Well, actually, there's, there's two things. And the first is being good. 
trying to be good enough. And he sort of tags it on, on saying, and, and status as well, you know, good teacher. And the commentaries tell me that that's, that's a sort of way of almost fishing for a compliment back, apparently, in the sort of the way that they're, they're interacting. He's saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what he's in, it, it sort of expecting is Jesus says, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't really have anything to tell this guy, do I? I mean, he's, oh, you yeah, know, what a man. Yes, you know, you're, you're okay, mate. Of course, he does something rather different. And he, he immediately goes at that sense of, of trying to earn our way into heaven with his question back. Why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God himself. Now, of course, Jesus is God, and he is good, and he is the only one. But he's not talking about himself. He's subtly and gently undermining this guy. And saying, mm, I think this could be the heart of the problem. That the goodness, the understanding of goodness, the understanding of, of how we can get there. But then he, he asks another question and he says, you know, he says, the, the, the commandments. You know the commandments, do these. And then he lists a bunch of commandments. And, and the answer's already been given to the guy. No one's good except God alone. But he blunders on regardless. And he says, yes, I've kept all these commandments since I was a little boy. And he's also missed another bear trap because... Not only has Jesus asked him a question which is designed to help him to see uh, that, uh, or asked it in a way that's designed to help him to see that you can't earn your way to God, but he's also asked it in a way which highlights this man's particular areas of sin and strongholds. I don't know if you noticed, uh, Jesus actually only quotes five of the Ten Commandments. He missed out the first four, which are all about worshipping God, and not having other idols. And he misses out the last one, do not covet, which is all about not wanting more material possessions and wealth. Because that's this man's problem. The man is very rich. And not only is he very rich, but he has allowed money to take the place in his heart that should be reserved only for God. And he's worshipping and putting his hope in money and not God. And because of that, that is stopping him from receiving the kingdom of God. Because he is not willing to allow God to save him. He is not looking in the right place for his salvation. He's looking elsewhere. And the only thing that can stop you and I from being saved and entering into the kingdom of God, because it is not something we do for ourselves, it is something that God gives us, is something which stops us from receiving it like a little child. And for this man, that is money. And so Jesus pushes him a little harder. And he gives him, it's a drastic cure, but it's obviously what he needs to do to break the hold of money on his life. Jesus isn't saying if he gives all his money to the poor that that'll buy him a slot in heaven. This isn't some kind of weird, twisted theology that says if you've got enough money, you can, you, he, it's the opposite. He needs to be totally freed from the grip that money has on him, so he needs to get rid of all of it. But then Jesus zooms out and widens his focus to all of us. Because even as he sees this man 
unable to let go of the grip that money has on his heart. Even as he sees the tragedy unfolding before him, he, he knows that it is true for so many more people. In fact, it is true for all rich people. I'll say that again. It is true for all rich people. I said earlier, you're all rich, so is this true for all of us? Well, Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And friends, it is impossible to get a camel through the eye of a needle. But we don't like to hear that. In fact, the biggest um, indication of that is that the church has spent 2,000 years trying to come up with reasons why Jesus didn't mean what he said. There are a bunch of church fathers who thought there was a typo in Greek. Apparently, there's a Greek word um, that's very similar for, for, for the, the word for camel. And, and it means a very thick bit of woolen thread. And they said, well, Jesus must have meant that. And if Jesus had meant that, then what he was saying here was not that it's impossible for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. He's just saying it's very, very difficult. And, and maybe we can cope with that. There's been a, a more modern version of that in, in recent decades. There was a scholar some time ago who came up with the idea that there was actually a gate into the old city of Jerusalem in Jesus' time called the Eye of the Needle. And it was really small and low. And if you had a fully laden camel, you couldn't get through it. So you had to get you know, all the rich stuff and unpack it, and you had to get off it yourself, and then you had to get it to sort of bow down, and then you could sort of, sort of hustle it through. And again, the implications of that is it's not impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's just really, really, really hard. There's a trouble with those, though, is that if you read on, Jesus says, impossible. And, and we've, I think we've got to hold this and wait in that space. Jesus is saying it is impossible. Now, we'll come back in a moment to the fact that, of course, he then says, um, with God, all things are possible. So there is hope, there is grace, there is gospel here for us. But he is saying something that you should not be able to swerve and get round. I should not be able to swerve and get round. Because I am rich, you are rich, maybe to different levels, I don't know how rich you are, but if you have enough wealth to put your trust in, then this is for you. Because, uh, of course, that's what happens when we're wealthy, isn't it? We put our trust in money. Rather than uh, praying every day, God, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from, but give me today my daily bread. We think, oh, well, I get paid quite well. I can put food on the table for my, for my family. We, we think, oh, I can afford to have a roof over my head. Um, we, we put our, our hope in the fact that, that, that sort of we seem to be secure in our financial situation. And, and if we're not, well, we've got insurance products to cover that. You know, if there's a fire, the, the home insurance will pay for it. You know, maybe with enough money, we can buy health insurance. And, and we use money to keep us safe and secure. And we don't look to God. Now, please don't hear me wrong. 
there is nothing wonderful about poverty. Being poor and destitute is often awful. And it, it is hard, and there are so many negatives and consequences that come out of, of, of the problems of poverty. But the one thing they don't do is leave you relying on your own wealth. Poor people know, I, I need help. And so they receive from God. And more than that, because the other thing that money does is that it's so seductive. I mean... I mean, we, we had a friend who came to stay a little while ago, and he drives a Ferrari, and he took me for a spin in it. It was, it was good. I want one. And, you know, those holidays that you see in the brochures, I mean, you know, when you've got money, I mean, you can have such a good time. And you can afford private health insurance, which makes things easier. And, you know, you can have really nice homes. And, and, and like, you know, oh, I mean, being being rich is, is, oh, yeah. But that's not longing for Jesus. That's not the take everything, but I want Jesus. That's not I'm going all in for him. That's all I want in life is God. That's love of money. And those are just two ways in which money can grip our hearts. Actually, maybe it is worth speaking to people who you say, no, 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 genuinely, I'm not rich. Uh, Paul talks in 1, in 1 Timothy 6 about the love of money. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Um, it's not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And he talks about those who want to be rich. And in my experience, you're either rich or you want to be rich. <laughs> And actually, when we want to be rich, that can skewer us and capture our hearts just as much. And so it is incredibly powerful. And Jesus doesn't seem to be saying it's incredibly powerful for some people. It's not like alcohol, where, you know, there's some people who, you know, they've got a weakness for alcohol, and they end up as, as um, alcoholics. But then there are other people who seem to be able to have a glass of wine with dinner from time to time. And maybe some of us are sat here thinking, well, I'm like that with money. I'm really quite good with it, actually. You know, I've, I've got it in the right place with my life. No, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is being totally black and white. Money is like heroin. How many people do you know who just dabble a little bit from time to time in heroin? It's not possible. Money is like that. You need, I need to break the power of money in my life. Well, what does that look like? Well, for this man, it meant the only way to break the power of money in his life was to sell everything he had and give it all away. Now, I said earlier, that's not the message for all of us. How do you know if you've got a problem? When I said, that's not the message for all of us, did your heart just go, oh, phew. <laughs> if it did you've got a problem. It does for me. And actually, I think 
If you are a Christian, you should at some point in your life have wrestled with the question of whether God actually might be telling you to give everything away. I remember I had a few weeks, they were not a happy time, about 15 years ago, when I was seriously wondering whether God was saying this to me. And I wrestled through it. I even got as far as thinking how I'd give the money away, um, because um, I, I am fairly wealthy, um, and that all is, is from my parents. I've done nothing to earn it. You know, I've, I've been a vicar. You don't make lots of money out of being a vicar. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and, and I realized that if I just gave it all away, it would be like a slap in the face to my, my parents. So I thought, you know, what would I do? And I'd, I'd got as far as thinking, I'd, I, th- I think it's not that God needs my money. He doesn't tell this guy to, to give all his money away because he's thinking, brilliant, oh, fantastic. I've been waiting for a rich man all this time. I can't do the stuff that I need to do with the poor otherwise. You know, we're reliant on, on them. No, God doesn't need my money. God doesn't need your money. Uh, what needed to happen here was this man needed not to have his money. And, and I knew that if God was saying the same thing to me, it would be the same in my life. So I decided I'd give it all to my brother, which was a way of honoring God and also uh, my, my family. And then I felt God say, I, I, you know, I wrestled with it, I wrestled with it, and I was like, okay! And then I felt God say, no, okay, you, you don't have to give it all away. And I probably did feel relief, which probably means I've still got a problem. Um, and you can all make your own uh, mind up as to whether that was just a massive cop-out on my part. But I, I've um, sort of, I've wrestled with it again and again ever since then. I mean, I, I, I was saying earlier, I, I think I've struggled more with, with money in the last few years than, than I ever have before. Um, and... You know, we live in a lovely place. Um, I won't go into more details now of, of, of our financial situation, but like all of us, it always seems that there's, there's more things on the bill side than there is in the, in the inside, um, even though we're, you know, hugely fortunate. And, and I've rest, wrestled with this again and again recently. Um, and I, and I realised powerfully this morning that in various ways God was really... Having, having his sort of target on my heart. And, 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 I, and I think this will be a struggle w- with me until the day I die. Unless God does say, no, no, I want you to give it all away. In which case, I'll give it all away and then it won't be a struggle. Um, but I suspect that if, if, if you don't give it all away, it'll be the same for you. This is, this is a daily struggle where we need God to break the power of money in our lives. And I want you to be honest and to really ask God to shine a spotlight on on you and your heart and where you are. And is this stopping you from coming fully and wholeheartedly to God, nuzzling into his love and receiving the kingdom of God as the only show in town? Because that is how we receive it. But then, I mean, that leads me to despair almost. Maybe it leads you to despair. I'm left saying, who then can be saved? You know, I have a problem. I have a, a sin uh, that, I, that I can't completely break free of. And of course, if that's how I'm feeling, I, I understood the passage. <laughs> that's not how you're feeling. You still haven't understood the passage. But if you're sat there thinking, okay, well, what do I do? Join with the people who said to Jesus, who then can be saved? And he said, that which is impossible for people is possible for God. 
you, you need to throw yourself on the mercy of God. I need to throw myself on the mercy of God. You need to say, I have a problem, God. What am I going to do? In fact, God, I can't do it. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm sorry that money has too much of a place in my heart than it should do. Please, God, help me. And when you pray that prayer, he will. It's beautiful that the story I referenced earlier, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the, um, the star of that story, who beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, is a tax collector. And they were rubbish in so many ways, but one thing they did have was lots of money. And then if we, if we carry on to, it's probably next week, or maybe it's on the podcast this week, Jesus and Zacchaeus, another very rich tax collector, and he goes in all in for God. God can save even rich people. Thank God that he can. But he can't do it if you stand in the way. He can't do it if you refuse to say, God, help me. He can't do it if you say, do you know, I really quite like having money first place in my heart. I really want to be rich. In fact, actually, if this is the sort of sermon they preach at Ashington, I know there's more churches in the Church of England. I'll go there next week. <laughs> you have to say, you got me, God. And then he can start. And that can be terrifying. He may say to someone here, Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And probably the way things work these days, you might have to say it to you more than once because, you know, you'll earn money. And I, I, I only know one person, actually, who, who, um, who's done that. She's done it twice. She was the leader on a, uh, a sort of course I did with a missionary organization back in my, my gap year. And she's twice given away everything she owns apart from the clothes she was wearing at the time. Uh, she talked about it and said, you know, uh, that meant that she had to wash her clothes before she went to bed, hang them up in the shower, and then put them on a little bit damp in the morning and hope that they'd sort of um, dry in time. And do you know what? She was on fire for Jesus. But do you know what? Also, she was one of the happiest people I've ever met. It was, it was the year after I left Eton, and I'd spent my life hanging out with, you know, rich people. You know, parents of some of the kids I was at school with billionaires. And, you know, some are only millionaires, but, you know. <laughs> and, and actually, I just remember then going to this missionary organization, YWAM, and they were so full of joy. I'd never met people who were living life as happily and carefreely and, and well as they were, and they all had nothing. I was going to say something a bit rude of that. They all had literally nothing. And yet, somehow they, they'd got it right. Somehow they'd got it right. And, and Jesus says that here. He says, um, truly I tell you, there is no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get very much more back in this age and in the age to come eternal life. May not be billions, it'll be in different ways, but, but living life Jesus' way is not actually a sacrifice. I said before, God doesn't need your money. This isn't a sort of sales pitch for the kingdom of God, which is going through a, a, you know, an economic rough patch at the moment. 
it's you that's got the problem. It's me that's got the problem. And if God releases us from this, then we have untold and unimaginable riches. Can you imagine what it would feel like to never worry about money again? Not because you had so much of it, but because Jesus had just taken the worry and the fear from your heart. Can you imagine what it would be like to live life as Jesus really intended it? So we need to let him rip off the plaster. We need to say, God, help me. And then we need to be open to whatever he might say. And for every single one of us, it will probably be different. But I realized something this morning when uh, this provoked some quite difficult decisions that I think that maybe I need to make on my finances uh, and that we need to make as, as a family. Um, that always seems to me when we talk about money, Liz's heart is much purer on this than mine. But, you know, if the answer to this question is easy, you probably need to ask for another because you might not have fully heard it. So, where are you? I'm going to do something a bit different now. Before we get to ministry, before I totally land, I want to just spend 30 seconds. And I just want to ask you to not just examine your own heart, because our hearts are very deceitful, but to pray that God would help you to see where you are on this issue. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe just close your eyes. Don't worry about the people around you. Close your eyes. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just been reminded of a, a conversation I had with someone after the nine, which, uh, and a conversation I had years ago with someone who was uh, very successful um, in the world of finance. It was when I was in the city. And I, I was actually leading a, a sort of a Christian union in a, a big investment bank. And we were talking about this. And uh, one of the guys very honestly said, I find it quite easy to trust God with my finances. But when it comes to my children and their financial security, it's a different matter. And I'm just reminded of that. And I wonder whether, and I know it's true for me. It wasn't at the time because I didn't have children so I could feel smug, but I know it's true for me. Um, when it relates to Beatrice, this seems harder. And I wonder whether there's a challenge to some of you here. Have you truly allowed yourself to put your trust in God for your children's future, for your children's well-being, and stopped using money as, as another backstop as well? So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.
I am going to bring it to land there. But I want to, we're, we're probably doing a bit of ministry now, but we're also going to share communion. And uh, one of the prayers that was written centuries ago for people to uh, use just before we receive communion is it's sometimes called the prayer of humble access. And it, it starts, we do not presume to come to this, your table, O Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. Um, but then it talks about trusting God's grace. And uh, you can chuck in money if you want to, at that point when you say righteousness, say ah, money. Um, and and I, 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 want to, I want to ask you to use communion. Because uh, in some ways, if we do an altar call, you should all come forward. But I want to ask you to use communion as a way of saying yes to God, to, to nuzzle into the love of God, to receive him like a little child. So, so pray that prayer, pay attention to the words of it, use it to say, yes, I am not resting on anything of me, but only in your great mercy. And then, Lord, I want to pray. Um, I, in fact, I want to just almost proclaim prophetically, Lord, we break the power of money. We break the hold of wealth and riches over this group of people, over our church, but also over our lives as individuals. We say it stops now because with God, this is possible. You are able to do it, Lord. Rip open our hearts and mold them and remake them and throw away uh, the money uh, that, that you find in those hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I'll hand over to Paddy to continue us in ministry or take us in a different direction. <laughs>